It's good to see everybody here this morning. On June 27th, the shepherds shared with you our uh, new mission. And at the time I said it's a new mission, but it's really a timeless mission. But it's a mission that we feel is important for our church, and that is to love God, love others, and make disciples. The reason a mission is important for any organization, including churches, is because it creates focus. It creates purpose. And so this is what we want to pursue as a congregation. A couple of weeks ago, Richie talked about our core values. These were things that were identified by the Growing Young Task Force a while back, but these core values are the vehicles in which we will pursue this mission. Those core values, again, are youth, children, worship, connections, and outreach. Last week, Quentin and Richie talked a little bit about worship as that core value and how uh, we see that in so many ways and how we want to do that. Richie talked about how our worship is not limited to just here in this building. It's in our lives 24-7, and that our worship should be to glorify God. This morning, we want to talk a little bit about our outreach core value. <clears throat> um, the, the outreach core value is, is really a combination of uh, what we used to call uh, local benevolence and foreign missions, but it's really much more than that. Our outreach ministry is an opportunity for us to minister to our community and to our world. The shepherds see our outreach ministry as an important part of connecting with each other, with our community, and those beyond our community. A key part of this outreach core value is getting us more involved. If you and I go out and serve others, that will strengthen and deepen our faith. By serving others, we can show them Jesus. And by showing them Jesus, that shows them what Jesus can look like in their lives and give us an opportunity to make disciples of them. And then they, in turn, can go and do the same. We firmly believe that a strong outreach ministry will help each of us grow in our faith and our relationship with God. We firmly believe that a strong outreach ministry will help us make a difference in our community and in our world. We firmly believe that a strong outreach ministry will allow us to make disciples. To help us do that, we put together a team, it's the outreach ministry team. Those in that team are Janelle Mazden, Stephen Baldridge, Lee Bennett, Mickey Blanks, David Gibson, Lois Knox, and Zach Nealon. We thank them for their willingness to serve in this capacity. If you've not met Stephen Baldridge and his wife, Holly, uh, let me tell you just a little bit about them briefly. Stephen's going to come up and talk a little bit about some perspectives he has about outreach in this ministry. But Stephen and Holly came here about a year ago uh, after he'd been at ACU. They uh, both have undergraduate degrees in social work, and then he also has his master's and doctorate in that. He's now the dean of the College of uh, Science and Humanities at UMHB. They have committed their lives to outreach, to helping those that are vulnerable, uh, to helping the homeless, for example. Uh, this is a commitment they've made not only in their careers, but also in the way they live their lives. And uh, I think it's admirable the 
path that they've chosen. So we look forward to hearing from uh, Stephen this morning. Good morning. Uh, I want to first thank Richie and the elders for uh, trusting me to get up here and tell a little bit about uh, my family's story. Um, I've not been a member here too long, so this is a little bit daunting, uh, but it's also really exciting to get up here and, and talk a little bit about uh, how, we can, how we can serve our neighbors and, and what that might look like in our community. I want to start by reading from Acts 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Several years ago, uh, back in 2016, I found myself uh, the president of the board of directors of a small uh, homeless shelter in Abilene. <clears throat> Until I joined that board, I didn't know much about uh, homelessness at all, outside of what I learned, what I learned in school. Uh, but I found myself president of this, of this homeless shelter, what was called a, a transitional homeless shelter. So in the world of homeless shelters, transitional housing basically means that we will house you if you're homeless, as long as you follow a certain set of specific rules, things you might think of, you must, you must be employed, uh, <clears throat> pass a criminal background check, clean and sober, save some of your money, you have to have a curfew, uh, there's specific ways that you have to behave when you're in the shelter, those sorts of things. And so we had done that for several years, we're marginally successful, um, but we knew that the transitional housing model was outdated. <clears throat> we knew that the actual best model for working with our neighbors experiencing homelessness is what's called housing first. Housing first is exactly what it sounds. It says the best way to cure homelessness in our community is housing. Um, if you are homeless, the best thing we can do is to house you. And then all of those other things, all of those other needs will, will improve that we've found. Um, mental health outcomes will improve. Uh, you're much more likely to get into recovery. You're much more likely to be employed if you just have housing. And so we knew we needed to make some changes at this homeless shelter, and we were searching for a new director. And so we interviewed this guy named John Cooper, who was not at all qualified for this job. Uh, we interviewed him because I knew him, uh, and some other people on the board knew him. He was a minister in Abilene at the time, not a social worker. He didn't have any nonprofit experience. Um, but he said in his interview, and he won this, and that's what I tell my students, I said, John is a great example of being able to get a job that you're completely not qualified for simply based on an interview. Um, and so he talked about how he had experienced homelessness growing up, something I had no idea of. Um, and he sat there and he cried and he talked about how he had been telling his congregation as a minister that you have to go out and you have to stand next to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. He said, but it was time he needed to do it full time. And he left and we're like, we, we got to hire this guy. And so he had talked about housing first and how we were going to take about 12 to 18 months to move from transitional housing to housing first. Uh, but the government, as they often do, had different plans. So we got a call two weeks after John moved his wife and his two young kids to Abilene from Austin. Two weeks after he moved, we got a call from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which provides a lot of funding for homeless shelters. And they said, uh, you've taken too long to go to housing first, so we're going to go ahead and just take $260,000 back that we've given you. Uh, and at that point, that was about 65% of our operating budget, and it was devastating. Um, it was, it was, uh, we panicked. We've just asked this guy to move his family from Austin, and now they've gutted, they've gutted our nonprofit. And so about that time, John and I got into the habit a couple of times a week after our kids would go to bed, we'd meet up at his office, and we'd just pray for God to show us what in the world to do. Um, and he did. And John worked some miracles, and pretty soon we were able to launch a couple of programs that were housing first focused, and we were able to keep our doors open. Uh, but we had this homeless shelter that was just sitting there empty. 
Um, we had it paid for, we owned it, and so we thought about what can we do that's best going to serve our neighbors in Abilene? Should we sell it and use that money? Um, and so we were thinking about that, and then one of the nights that John and I were in his office praying, he said, Stephen, I got a pretty crazy idea for you. I, I like crazy ideas pretty well, so I said, all right, let's hear it. And he said, I want to open the shelter again, but I don't want to take any government money. Because when you take government money, you have to play by government rules. Um, and as appealing as that might sound to you, it's not always the best. Uh, and so he said, I want to raise enough money from local churches to stay open one year and just try something different. I want us to open this shelter and completely start from scratch and open a shelter that is really focused on the dignity and worth of our neighbors. And I thought that was a fantastic idea. So we had some great partner churches that were very generous and we started rethinking all of our policies. What can we do to better support our neighbors and throw out all of these arbitrary rules and say, what is this going to be more like if it's a community? Um, more like a dorm, more like an apartment complex, more, not that people necessarily wanted to be a part of, but something that made them feel uh, as we believe that God wanted them to feel. And so we got ready to open it up and invite some of our neighbors in. And John and I were praying one night and he said, all right, Stephen, you've come with me this far. I got one more idea for you. And I'm like, all right, let's hear it. And he said, I don't want hourly staff because we, we still had to staff this agency. Uh, insurance requires you have people there 24 hours a day. And so he said, I, I don't want hourly staff. He said, I want someone to move in, someone who is not homeless. I want someone to move in here to just live life with our neighbors, to experience community and to build that community. So that sounds like a great idea. What fool's going to do that? Uh, you probably see where this is going. So uh, anyway, side story, at the time my wife and I had just sold our house, uh, we had bought a few acres outside of Abilene to build our forever dream home. You can probably tell that our life has taken quite the left turn since then. Um, and so we, had, uh, we were packing boxes and we had found a rent house. I actually had a friend who had a rent house close to campus. We had a gentleman's agreement. He was going to let us live there without a lease. We could bring our dog just as long as we needed to. And so we were packing and, and getting ready to go, and my wife comes in uh, one Tuesday morning, and she goes, hey, uh, I got an idea, and she goes, what do you think about that, that homeless shelter? I said, well, I think a lot of things. Be, be more specific. Um, she goes, what if we moved in? And I said, oh, woman, you're crazy. Uh, and so we started talking, and I said, you know, all right, let's, maybe God is putting this on your heart for something. Let's, let's call John. So I called, I called John. And kind of told him, and he said, you know what, Stephen, this is the call I've been praying for. Um, and I said, let's, you know, let's not get excited. Uh, There's a lot to happen here. We have a family of six. We have four kids. We have a dog. We're talking about a very different move than we were planning for. Um, and so we went up to the homeless shelter. I'd been there many times. I had never been there as a prospective resident. Uh, so we're walking through it. And, uh, and I said, you know what, let's just, let's just say a prayer. Um, so we wrapped our arms around each other, and I prayed, I think, the most direct prayer that I've ever prayed. I said, God, I want to know. I want it to be clear. And if possible, I'd like to know today. Um, amen. And so we, we kind of laughed, and, and I got in the car, and I checked my, my email. And I had an email from the guy that owned the house that we were going to rent. And it said, Stephen, I don't know how to tell you this. He goes, we had a lot, water line bust in the house this morning. He said, I got nowhere for you to move. So, uh, so I looked at my wife and I said, well, I guess we're moving into a homeless shelter. Um, and so we did. Uh, a few days later, we moved into a homeless shelter. And I have to tell you, one of the holiest things that I have ever done is to share our lives with our neighbors experiencing homelessness. Um, 
God used that time that we were there to teach us so many lessons that we did not know we even needed to learn. Um, one of the biggest lessons that he taught us continually is that we knew absolutely nothing. Um, you know, I, I thought I was prepared for this. I've got a few degrees in social work. I've looked, I, I know theoretically, academically what homelessness looks like. My wife has a degree in, in, uh, in <laughs> social work, now in homelessness, in social work. Uh, but we soon figured out that that didn't mean anything. Uh, we had prepared our kids. I mean, there's four kids that were moving in here. And we said, you know what, this is, a, this is a group where a lot of things unexpected might happen. And that is true, but not in the way that we thought it would. Uh, we had a code. We told them, you know what, if we ever use the words to the bat cave, you know it means to go to your room, lock the door, and hunker down because something's going down. Um, in the year that we lived there, we didn't send to the bat cave one time, not once. The only time one of our neighbors actually entered our room without being invited is when I had fallen asleep one day and left the lights on and left my wallet sitting right by the door. And the person came in to turn out the lights and shut the door and lock it so no one bothered it. Um, and so that is one of the biggest lessons that God taught us. <clears throat> he used our time there to show us his version of outreach was not what we thought outreach should look like. It wasn't until we lived in community alongside them, living literally next door, that we were truly impacted. We knew we had to be quiet and just listen, and they would tell us what we needed to know. <clears throat> they were the experts in their life, not us. We didn't know their challenges. We didn't know their strengths. We didn't understand their lives. And so we had to be quiet and we had to listen. And so that's what we did. So if I could tell you one thing about outreach, it would be to listen. What does that mean for our church? What does that mean for this community? And it means we have to truly listen to our neighbors. This has to be a blank slate that we go in with. No preconceived notions as to what we think our neighbors might need. Carson Amos, which Richie introduced a little bit last week, is going to be a senior social work major from UMHB. Uh, she is joining us tomorrow morning for a 450-hour senior placement. That's going to be all year. Uh, these placements are no joke. This is where we tell them the rubber meets the road. This is where you get uh, punched in the face with social work. That's what I like to say. Um, so what is she, what's she going to be doing with our staff and, and some of you is she's going to be doing what we call a community needs assessment. That is just a fancy word for an intentional way that we are going to begin listening to our neighbors. We're also going to start listening to people in this room. What talents do we have in this room that we haven't uncovered yet? Because there's so many that I just know are in here. <clears throat> We're going to be intentional about listening. But what are we going to do with that? Because when you listen and you really commit to knowing what the needs of your neighbors are, you have to do something about that. <clears throat> I think there are three things that we need to do once we've listened to our neighbors to do effective outreach in our community. The first one is we have to show up. Um, this is one of the most important. We hope to find ways that we can all be immediately and tangibly and concretely involved in our community. We have so many needs right outside of our door that we really just need to show up for. Uh, we have two elementary schools close to here, meaning we have kids and families in need literally in the neighborhoods of this church. So what could that look like? I, I don't know. It could be having groups that go and read to kindergartners and first graders. It can be having a group of people on Friday mornings going to Belton Middle School and high-fiving a very difficult group of 13 and 14-year-olds as they go inside their school. Um, it could be baking cookies for first responders. It could be cooking. It could be doing all sorts of things that don't need any formal training. It just needs the heart to show up for our neighbors. 
but we have to take it one step further. We can't just show up. We need to partner because unfortunately there are a lot of needs in our community that are complex and deeply nuanced. Um, Issues like homelessness, issues like poverty, issues like domestic violence, issues like trafficking, issues like drug abuse, issues like incarceration, lots of these issues that frankly the church does not have a great track record of addressing. Um, It's not because we don't care, and not just our church, the church in general. It's not because we don't care, we just don't know. We don't know what to do. Um, Unfortunately, I've seen churches show up with, with a good plan, but the wrong plan to address these things, and sometimes they actually make the problems that they're trying to address worse. Not because obviously they want to, It's well-intentioned. They just don't know. The good news is there are people in this community that do know. Um, There are are people in our community and nonprofits and agencies in our community that are going out there and doing really incredible work. Agencies like Foster Love, agencies like Family Promise, like Helping Hands, like Salvation Army, we can go on and on, that are doing really good work. They just need our help. And sometimes that help just means writing a check. Uh, But not necessarily. It might mean training some people in here that really have a heart for that to be members of their boards of directors. It might mean joining your small group or your Bible class group with a nonprofit to figure out how you can partner there. Um, This is the way that we can show up and show show our community that we are really for them. One of, the, one of the stories that sticks out to me as to how partnership can really work, we had been, uh, been living in the shelter for a little while, and we were really blessed with a strong church group that was really invested in, in this life that was chosen for us. Um, and so we had, been in the, we had been in the shelter a while, and we had had a particularly hard couple of weeks. Um, as people do, sometimes relationships, there's ebbs and flows, ups and downs, and we had had more, up, more downs than ups. Um, and there was just a lot of tension, uh, tension in the community. And so Holly and I were sitting on the bed one night, and we thought, what can we do to help alleviate some of this? And so we started thinking, well, what do we do in our own family when things aren't going great? We figure out a way to kind of block out everything else. We get away, and we, we just try to connect to each other. So we thought, how can we do this with this group of neighbors uh, and so we had this idea, well, what about a steak dinner? Um, that sounds fun. We could go out. A lot of our neighbors had never really experienced a dinner like this. Uh, when we mentioned it to them, they thought, wow, you mean like Golden Corral? Uh, so no, maybe a little bit better than that. And so we started thinking what we can do. So we started calling around to some steak places. And we found one that's like, yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to help you out. And so we figured we needed about $1,200 to do this. And so I was teaching Bible class that Sunday at church, and I thought, you know what, I have a captive audience here. Let me, let me just see what I can do. So after, after I taught, I said, all right, uh, friends, those of you who have a heart for the homeless, let me, let me see really uh, if you're willing to kind of go crazy here with me. And so I, I explained what we were doing, and I said, I think I need about $1,200 to do this. If you, have it, if you have it in your heart, whatever, we'd love to. We'd love, we'd love to uh, take your money. So about five minutes later, we had $1,304. So we took that money, and we took it to a steak restaurant. And we had all of our neighbors there. Everyone's dressed up, whatever that meant for them. Uh, and the first, it was a little bit awkward, because everyone's looking at the menu. A lot of, I mean, a lot of them had never experienced anything like this, at least in a long time. 
And we were looking, and they were looking at the prices, and they're like, wow, uh, we know this is a nonprofit, and we know the budget is not great, so they didn't know what to order. So my wife, who is a saint, decided I'll step up here. Uh, she called the waiter over, and she said, I want, very loudly, I want the steak and lobster, uh, the most expensive thing on the menu, of course. Um, and we all kind of laughed, but that really broke the ice. And so people started to order, and they, uh, you know, we just started talking. And we started to see each other in a light that we had never really seen each other before. Um, and we started connecting, and we were there for about two and a half hours. But about halfway through that meal, we realized that things were starting to change a little bit. Um, we learned about each other. We learned each other's stories. We learned things. Uh, I learned things like, if you are experiencing homelessness, a really good way to build your silverware collection is to borrow it from restaurants like this, uh, which we did not do. But in case you're also curious, the best restaurant to do this from apparently is the Olive Garden. Um, but we did that, and that only, I think that starts to show the power of believers that are willing to partner with people. We could not have done that if we didn't have a group of church that put their unwavering and unquestioning faith in us. Um, we knew that there were people there that we could call no matter what with weird requests and that they would come through. And we saw how that changed the lives of our neighbors. But I tell you that story more than just to show you partnership. Um, that steak dinner showed us the power of kinship. Um, when we were sitting around that table, after a while, I was not a social work professor who was terrified and had no idea what he was doing, sitting across from a mother who was desperately trying to get her newborn back from CPS, uh, sitting next to a guy who had recently been released from jail, sitting next to another guy who, in the face of devastating mental illness, was trying to kick his addiction to methamphetamine. We weren't those people. We were just people. I think unlike any other time in my life, that night I experienced God's dr true dream come true for us, that we may all be one. There was no us and them, that was just us. <clears throat> God used that funny steak dinner to show us kinship with his beloved children, that we may be one. <clears throat> uh, Pima Chodron, a Buddhist nun, she says that our compassion's truest measure lies not in our service to those on the margins, but in our willingness to see ourselves in kinship with them. <clears throat> Think about your small group. Hopefully you're a part of one. Why? Why are you in a small group? Why are you going to go out to lunch with people after this? What do you get out of small group? It's not for charity. It's not because you're in need. It's for community. But can you imagine someone in your group being hungry? Can you imagine them being sick, being hurting? What do you do? We take them dinner when they have surgery. We go visit them in the hospital. We have benefit dinners for them on Wednesday nights. <clears throat> Why? We cannot stand by and let those we love suffer. That's not the way that God made us. We do whatever it takes. How can we be that group for our community? How can we be that group for Belton? <clears throat> we don't want them to come to us because they need something. We want them to come to us to be part of something. <clears throat> that is what outreach is about. Acts 4 is about being so close in relationship with our neighbors that we can't comprehend one of them in need. It's not the early church's call to socialism. It's their call to kinship. 
So why outreach? Why do we do this? It can't just be because there's probably some families and kids that are hungry in our neighborhood. It can't be that there's some kids in Belton ISD that need help and need new clothes. That's true. But why do we stand in kinship with our neighbors on the margins? Why does the Bible have 200 mentions that we need to stand close to the poor, to the oppressed, to the powerless, to the marginalized? It's what Mark said. It's because what it does for us. We don't take God to the margins. We go there because that's where he lives. We go there because he is already there. We went into that shelter back in 2016 thinking that God called us there to witness to our neighbors. We were very, very wrong. They, They taught us compassion. They taught us reckless, radical inclusion. They taught us community. They transformed our family. They transformed our story. We did not save the homeless. They saved us. I'm going to finish with my favorite quote from my favorite author, Father Greg Boyle. For we go to the margins not to change the people there. We go so that the people in the margins change us. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for um, community and for compassion and for the empathy that you've, you've given us. Um, I want to ask that you be with us as we, we look to be in kinship with all of your children, um, to, to draw a circle so big that we can't imagine anybody standing outside of it. I want to ask that uh, you be with everyone in this room. Thank you for the talents and the gifts that you've blessed everyone in here with. We want to we ask that you do things that we cannot even imagine in this community. Uh, we want to ask that we live lives um, defined by grace and mercy. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Bless those less fortunate than us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.